welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Singularis Holdings Limited and Daiwa Capital Markets Europe Limited. The citation for this case is 2019 UKSC 50. And the case that we are looking at this week is probably one of the strangest ones that I've come across in quite a while, because both the wrongdoer and the victim are the same person. How is this possible? Well, the respondent company in this case, Singularis, was set up for one slightly dodgy purpose, to manage the personal assets of a Mr. Man al-Sanar, who is a Saudi businessman. To put this in context, when you Google him, the first picture that comes up is, and I kid you not, Mr. Al-Sanar with a pair of devil horns photoshopped onto the side of his head that comes from a Facebook group called Man Al-Sanar Saad Group Aggrieved Employees. In any case, Singularis and Mr. Al-Sanar were pretty much one and the same thing when it came down to it. After all, he undertook pretty much all the other roles, including sole shareholder, director of the company, chairman, president, and treasurer. Beyond that, there were six other directors, but these individuals exercised no influence over the management of the company whatsoever. So you see what I mean about Mr. Al-Sanar and Singularis being one and the same, but that still doesn't tell us how it is possible to be the wrongdoer and the victim at the same time. To explain that, we need to introduce the other party to this case, Daiwa, who are an investment bank. Back in 2007, an arrangement was reached whereby Daiwa provided Singularis with money for the purchase of shares, and then those shares acted as security for the overall loan. Kind of like a mortgage, but with shares instead of a house. Anyway, everything went well with that arrangement, as a couple of years later, the shares were sold for a profit. The loan was paid back, and then there was a surplus of $204 million dollars that Daiwa held for Singularis. The problems only arose when the Daiwa bank complied with instructions from Al-Sanar to pay that surplus out to a number of third parties. In fact, those payments represented a misappropriation of funds because it meant that Singularis could not make required payments to a number of creditors. As a result, Singularis was later subject to a winding up order and entered liquidation. Thus we can see how Al-Sanar was a wrongdoer in this case by requesting the money be paid to third parties who were not creditors, but also a victim of that wrongdoing, in the sense that Singularis was, in essence, his own enterprise. The legal proceedings were brought by the company against Daiwa Bank for the $204 million on a couple of different grounds. Firstly, for the bank's dishonest assistance of Al-Sanar in his breach of fiduciary duty, and secondly, is for the breach of something called the Quince Care Duty of Care that Daiwa owed to Al-Sanar. And without going off on too much of a tangent, it is worth briefly explaining what a Quince Care Duty looks like. It comes from the 1992 case of Barclays Bank PLC and Quince Care, and at its heart, this is an implied term in any contract between a bank and its customer that the bank owes a duty of care not to follow a customer's instruction if the bank either knows that instruction to be given dishonestly, the bank shuts its eyes to obvious dishonesty, or it acts recklessly by failing to make relevant inquiries. When our present case went before the High Court, they did not think there was enough there to uphold the dishonest assistance claim, 
but held that there had been a breach of the Quince care duty, with a reduction of 25% by way of contributory negligence because of the actions of the company. Daiwa, unsurprisingly, were not happy that they were being forced to pay out for fraudulent instructions that had been given by Al-Sanar in respect of his own company, and so after their appeal was dismissed in the Court of Appeal, the proceedings made their way to the Supreme Court, which is where we pick them up. The structure of the decision in this case draws from the defence that was put forward by Daiwa Bank, with the central theme being that Mr Al-Sanar and his company, Singularis, were, for all intents and purposes, the same entity, and so the fraud committed by Al-Sanar is also the fraud committed by Singularis. In legal terms, this argument can be split under three headings. The first of these is the illegality of the actions undertaken by Al-Sanar, including the provision of false documents with respect to the payments and the breach of his fiduciary duty towards Singularis. The problem that arises in this context, though, is that the point of fiduciary duties is to protect companies from abuses of power, and so if in this instance they were denied from making a claim, then it would severely undermine the protection that they would be entitled to in the future. Even beyond that, the Quince Care duty of care represents a careful balance between the interests of the bank and the interests of the customer, and so it is important not to undermine the integrity of this. Meanwhile, from a broader public policy perspective, if the bank were able to get away with no penalty whatsoever, then it would also undermine the current incentive that they have to be on the lookout for money laundering and other forms of financial crime. Finally, under this heading, the justices considered the impact that a decision would have on companies who are in a position like Singularis if they were not able to claim. Even if they are partially culpable themselves, it would be extraordinarily unfair if they were not able to succeed in any claim whatsoever for the money that had been lost. Instead, the use of contributory negligence is a much less blunt tool to use when it comes to apportioning blame. The next heading that the Supreme Court looked at was causation, in the sense that the bank was arguing that Singularis had caused its own loss through no fault of the bank. However, the issue here was that this argument tended to misrepresent what the Quince Care duty actually is. After all, it is up to the bank to protect its customers, and so it was only Daiwa who could breach the duty of care. The final defence that Daiwa put together was actually more of an attack, as they put the deceit of Al-Sanar and Singularis to the court. Unfortunately for Daiwa, this ended up much the same way as their argument about causation, whereby the duty of care ultimately rests with the bank, and it is they who are open to liability. All of this ultimately means that the court drew a clear distinction between the actions of Mr. Al-Sanar and the actions of Singularis, despite the two being so closely intertwined. This matches with the general understanding of company law in the sense that a business will have a distinct personality to those who are acting on its behalf. In other words, for the purposes of this claim under the Quince Care duty, the fraudulent actions of Al-Sanar are not to be attributed to his company, because doing so would completely undermine the whole point of having the Quince Care duty of care in the first place. Now, when we look at this case and this decision of the Supreme Court for ourselves, I think that the first point that we have to address is the idea of this separate corporate personality of the company, 
that effectively saves it from being guilty of fraud in this context. This is not set in stone, and it is open to the courts to bring to light the fact that a person and a company are using their distinct legal personalities to commit some sort of malfeasance. Such a judgment is commonly referred to as piercing the corporate veil, and seems to apply perfectly in this case where Al-Sanar has clearly used his company as a vehicle for fraud. So we have to ask why the court has essentially been complicit in maintaining this facade. To understand this, I think it is necessary to look a little bit more closely at the Quince Care duty and its standing in English law as a whole. Despite being a decision that is nearly 30 years old by this point, Barclays Bank and Quince Care is hardly ever used. In fact, this is the first time that damages have been awarded against a financial institution for such a breach. Why is that the case? Well, there is a fairly legitimate concern that if banks are held responsible for the fraud that is perpetrated by its customers, then it would lead to defensive practices, while also not being all that effective at its stated aim of combating fraud and other financial crimes. That is why this decision, where the bank was held liable for 75% of the money that was lost, is so surprising. We can be honest and say that the bank hardly behaved perfectly in this situation, and they were certainly, at the very least, negligent if nothing else. That warrants its own investigation from the bank's shareholders and even banking regulators, but it is another step entirely to hold them liable for the fraud perpetrated by another party. Even the idea of there being some sort of contributory negligence doesn't hold water when you think that the entire loss was the fault of Al-Sanar. I'm not normally in a rush to defend multinational investment banks, but when compared to a corrupt tycoon who has conned everyone, including his own family, to get to the top, the bank appears like the biggest victim of all. In the end, this ruling only proves that Quince Care has had its day, and the real shame is that the Supreme Court did not take the opportunity to do away with it once and for all. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly Podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provides the theme music. Remember that if you want to help us out, then you can do so by giving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, We got a five-star review in the past week from a user called Mary Hinge, who is presumably a friend of Betty Swallocks. Um, So thank you very much for that kind review, and um, I'll be back with another episode next week. For now, bye!